about movies. So join us as we... Wait, this is your line. I don't know whose line it is. Well... <laughs> join us as we review the movies we have just watched. And, and we will inevitably disagree on it. This is the Drive Home Reviews Podcast. <laughs> the line, you know, Wolfman's got nards. Yeah. Like, went around the schoolyard, like, wildfire, and everybody was like, where is this coming from? And then we all had to go see it, and then, yeah, it became, it became a big thing. Okay. What, what about you? What's one Well, that... I think of, you know, one that is a, a staple in our house is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. And, okay, you know, if you're a long-time listener, you know that I grew up in a very religious household, and that was not allowed viewing in my house. So I didn't really know if it was popular or not. Um, and then when I had kids and I got older and I kind of got, you know, into to kind of spooky stuff, um, I watched it and I loved it. And so does our youngest daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, like, the amount of Jack Skellington clothes that she has is... It's, 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 uh, it's yeah. kept hot topic in business. Uh, so, well, that's that's a thing. Like, this movie came out, what, 30 years ago now? Yeah, 93, 94. I was, I think I, I was in middle school or high school. I cannot remember. I think it was middle school. Right. And apparently it was not a success in the theater. No, no. And I, I remember I went and saw it in the theater. Me and my friend went and saw it. And, you know, because it, the buzz just was, how are they going to do this? How do you blend a, you know, a Christian holiday and a pagan holiday, you know, from a child's point of view? I know the history is a little bit more murky than that. <laughs> um, but went and saw it and like yeah this is great you know bought the soundtrack it was you know 
became standard listening and viewing around the holidays, but nobody really talked much about it until like the early 2000s when Hot Topic came along. Well, I remember when I went to school at the University of Alaska and I really started to, you know, kind of branch out with the people I knew and um, it was like almost required viewing for yeah. a lot of the people there. And then, um, yeah, now like there's what, a good eighth of the Hot Topic store yeah. is dedicated to this. I have a, a cousin uh, who whose wedding was Jack Skellington themed, like Nightmare Before Christmas themed. You know, it's interesting yeah. that you kind of you mentioned like college. It's interesting how certain films at certain points in history um, become kind of that required viewing. Like when I was starting at UAA, um, that's when South Park was really in its uh, its big boom. Yeah. So the early films of uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, Orgasmo, uh, Cannibal, the musical, those became kind of the cult, right. uh, the cult films that had to be viewed um, around around the theater department. You had we had viewing parties for them. So it was like, yeah, yeah. It's interesting uh, how, and I'm sure each college generation has had their own. Well, I think that high school and college kids, I don't, I, I mean, real hot take here, but I think they really kind of decide what is the hot button for that, yeah. you know? Um, more that maybe weren't so great in the theater, but kind of gained following Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, I know, which I've never seen. It, 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 it never... It is exactly the kind of movie that would irritate you so much, but I love. <laughs> I'm surprised like, we haven't watched it yet. Um, I would also say the movies of Chris Farley. He never mm -hmm. really did great in the box office, uh, but I would consider... I always know a Tommy Boy fan... Um, because we will, like the other day at rehearsal, one of the people at, there at rehearsal made a fat man in a little coat comment. You know, like, it it just works its way into your lexicon. Mm. Um, you know the one that's shocking, and this is one that, you know, these days, like we were talking about how some of these become so ingrained in the culture that you're like, that was a failure when it came out? Mm -hmm. um, like, Nightmare Before Christmas, obviously, but The Princess Bride. Right. Like, have you ever met anyone who didn't like The Princess Bride? Now, that is one of the few movies we were allowed to watch when I was, you know, growing up super religious because um, it's pretty clean. Like, there's yeah. one, one line about breasts, but that's it. Like, it's pretty, pretty clean. And so, um, yeah, like everyone I knew growing up watched it. If you talk about Wesley and Buttercup, everyone knows what that yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. And like now, again, it's, 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 uh, again, through Hot Topic, because I remember a lot of shirts at, at, back in the day. I had an Andre the Giant one that said, anybody want a peanut? <laughs> anybody want a peanut? You know, and that's, and that's the thing. It's so quotable yes. that like, you, the fact that it, there was a time when this was a little film. I mean, read, read Carrie Elway's oh, that book. Was, that was really interesting. If you've never read it or listened to the audiobook of Carrie Elway's book, uh, As You As Wish, you wish yeah. read it. It's awesome. And he, you know, just this behind the scenes stuff of making the movie. And he talks about, you know, that it was a disappointment that they all, everybody who worked on the movie loved it and they were so thrilled by it and that it didn't, it didn't click with audiences it, it re, or critics at the time it, it really discouraged a lot of them now it's probably one of the most like well-known or recognizable movies that there is and not only that but like universally yeah beloved like um on the parks and recreation leslie and ben dress up as yeah. leslie and, and buttercup one year exactly and it's like because you have cult classics that are, you know, kind of enjoyed ironically, like the films of Ed Wood. Right. You know. Room. Uh, room. Birdemic. Uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, is, when we say Room, it's the Tommy Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau one, yeah. Yeah, not the Brie Larson one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but Mystery Science Theater 3000 was, was responsible for bringing a lot of these kind of obscure movies uh, time Chasers, Hobgoblins, Manos, The Hands of Fate, the Gamera movies into a more prominent... But you can argue the, the, the quality 
yeah. of all of those. But I've never heard anyone who was like, oh, the Princess Bride. Ugh. No, no, it's such a beautiful movie. Yeah, everybody loves it. So you're like, how did this not work then? Well, there, and I think that there is another um, category of cult classics, and we talked about this for a minute. Movies that were pretty popular at the time, but then kind of fell out of the zeitgeist and then have resurged. Yeah. Um, one that my teenagers love is Clueless. Yeah. And Legally Blonde. I don't know how many times we rewatched Legally Blonde or quoted Jennifer Coolidge. Uh, from from those movies, um, and they're twenty years old, thirty years old, you know. Um, so they've kind of they were popular at the time, but then you know it's not like um, anyone in the early two thousands was really talking about Clueless, and then now the teenagers have gotten back into it. I don't know if it's because the styles have become fashionable again. I think this also lends itself to. Things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer becoming more popular. Like our youngest has started watching that. Um, I think it has to do... I think something like Clueless having a resurgence. I think that has to do with the... You know, time... You know, timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. Yeah. Um, but trends and everything go... They go in a... Cycle. A cycle. Yes, thank you. That's exactly... I could not think of the word. Um, in a round thing. Yes. And <laughs> Clueless... Clueless was one of those 90s films that was just happy and bubbly and yeah. you know, bright and colorful. And then as we kind of segued into the later 90s, we got very self-serious. Well, we also got very cynical. Yes. And something about Clueless and Legally Blonde both is that... Their main characters are not cynical. They're very no. sincere. Yeah. And I think that there's kind of a hunger for that. Yeah, exactly. So I think as we've kind of we're kind of progressing out, I think people are looking for more hopeful. Yeah. You know, fair. Um, I think that's why a lot of those things. You know, what else could be considered a cult? Kind of a resurgent cult classic. Um, more on the TV side of things. Um, the Adam West. Batman, right. which well, I would say that like I was gonna say that's more your your generation of resurgence. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I remember I remember loving it as a kid. Right. Like as a kid, that was Batman. Right, but even when you were a kid, that would have been in reruns. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah. then like you hit teenager, and then you get cynical, and you're like, uh, you know, oh my god, he's got everything in that belt. Oh my god, it's so stupid. Oh, how you know. You know, not getting that it's part of the joke. You know, I think I would have wanted to smack teenage you sometimes. I think so, too. I want to smack teenage <laughs> me sometimes. Are you kidding? Um, but then, kind of as you get older and you kind of you get tired of the dark. You know, you're tired of the dark, gross, you know, super serious Batman. It's like the bright, colorful, hopeful, you know, teaching lessons to kids Adam West version. There's That, that makes you happy. That fills you with glee. Well, you kind of are into that resurgence stuff anyways. I would say, I remember people in our generation getting back into, maybe not as much Abbott Costello as you did, but the Marx Brothers. Yeah. <coughs> but um, the ones I really latched onto were due to a little show on TBS called Dinner and a Movie. Yep. And uh, they, they would show constantly... They would show Dirty Dancing <laughs> and Tom Cats with Goldie Hawn in it and Overboard with Goldie Hawn. Um, those were the three major ones that I can I can really like remember watching over and over and over again. I think Dirty Dancing is another example of a resurgence of, of, a, of a resurgence, a cult classic, right? You know, so because like every girl my age probably can quote big yeah. spots in that movie even though it was really like it, it came out when I was only a couple years old and so it was an older movie by the time like I said I was watching it on TBS so but I, yeah. I do remember girls um, uh, of my generation because that would have been about the time the film came out and yeah it was like the movie for 
Yeah. You know, the soundtrack was like required listening for, you know, young ladies of, of my Any generation. Anytime that anyone gets lifted up in the air, you got to sing, I've the time of my life. Exactly. <laughs> like, how many times have we done that while watching wrestling? Yeah, true. So, like, everybody, I mean, Dirty Dancing is definitely a classic. You know what else was a cult classic that, um, again, we don't think of it as one because it's just so prevalent? Uh, a Christmas Story. Oh, yeah, that wasn't very popular. That, I don't either. even remember that ever Another being advertised. Another one that is popular due to TBS. Yeah. Because they would play A Christmas Story for 24 hours yep. on Christmas Day. I don't know if they still do that or not. But yeah, I think yeah. they do. And yeah, TBS, man. But it, bringing movies back. But yeah, it, well, you know, say what you want about Ted Turner. Yeah. But the man loves classic movies. He does. I mean, he's got a whole channel to devote it to. Yeah, and he's very he's very dedicated to film preservation. So, right. You know. But yeah, I would say that would be Oh, excuse me. That would be good. Um that one is definitely considered a a classic. Yeah, it's now, a standard now. Like you you have yeah. a hard time. You can't get away from it. Yeah. Uh, during the holidays. So. I do wish, like, I would watch um, Dinner in a Movie again because they would do these, like, pop-up things mm. where they would give you information about yeah. the movie. And I remember, like, just the other day I was yelling at you for not knowing things about Dirty Dancing. You were, you were, you were having fun with the fact you knew more about a movie than I did. Yeah. I but, can't believe you didn't know Patrick Swayze wrote the song for the movie. I knew he wrote She's Like the Wind. I didn't know Hungry Eyes. Uh, so I'm sorry. But I, I knew I knew She's Like the Wind was one of his. Anyways. <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of the ultimate example of a cult classic. And the thing that had the, probably the most... I would say, maybe other people argue, but I think the one that has had the most cultural influence... Star Trek. Okay. Yeah, you don't think Star Trek was was popular? The original Star Trek was canceled after three seasons. Okay. And it's it's one of the most it's one of the biggest stories in sci-fi and its fans kept it alive. They started the convention circuit. Okay. You know, they started the getting together and trading uh, you know, videos because you know you didn't have home video back then, right? Or so it was you know they started kind of the campaigns for reruns, yeah, and all of that. I, some of them I, I don't know if it's in the same way, you know, uh, but started fan fiction, right? You know, writing the stories that happened in between, they, and uh, predominantly non-sexual fan. Yes, fiction. this is back before that. <laughs> this is back before all fan, all fan fiction was people hooking up. Uh, um, they got the first movie. You know there's Kirk Spock. Oh, I know there is. I don't I don't doubt that for a second. Mm -hmm. um, but they got the first movie made and so on and so on and so on. Well, that's a successful like because I you know the movies were successful and then the the shows that came afterwards were predominantly successful. Um there are less successful things where fans have fought to get things back. So, like, um, Arrested Development. Yeah. Fans did a write-in for that uh, to try to get it back on the air. And it did come back, but the seasons after that it came back were not good. Um, Firefly, that, they did that. That's kind of the most, well, I don't know if it's the most recent, but, right. like, it's one of the most no, it's not the most recent. Community would be more yeah. recent than that. Um, but, yeah, Firefly, where it went off the air, um, and then, wait, so, no, what was the, Firefly was the, was the series? Yeah. What was the name of the movie? Serenity. Serenity, right. Serenity. So, they did get their movie. Heartbreaking movie. Freaking frickers. Um. <laughs> And a uh, little known piece of information to the fans out there. Uh, my youngest daughter is named after River. Uh, River Tam and Firefly. Yeah. So, 
just say she was also named after River Song, but I didn't actually start watching Doctor Who until after she was born. So, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, sometimes, well, sometimes the the, the fandoms, uh, like I say, they bring, they can get something brought back, but then they're not satisfied with it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like that's that. I mean, the Will and Grace reboot had yeah. that issue. Um, I, there was a lot of people who were. Re- stopped watching Roseanne when it became the Connors the Connors um but that was really you know Roseanne Barr's fault because she got all racist Trumpy so but anyways but yeah so but it is interesting and I guess uh, we, we talked about it a little bit but there's also that category of the so bad they're good. Oh yes, that has cult, a cult classic. You know, mo- like I say, most notably the films of like Ed Wood. You know, Plan Nine from Outer Space. Right, Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, where they will have like entire viewing parties. Yep. You know, for these films, and everybody acknowledges they're bad, but there's something inherently charming, right, about them. And my uh, our middle kid. She has a fondness for a student film named... Lamageddon. 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 It's her favorite movie of she all time. She has had several viewing parties to expose her friends to Lamageddon. Yes. Um, and that's... Re- like, you have to go looking for that one. That one, I yeah. think, like... It is truly, like, a student film. Um, um, and, I, and I think that's... That is the... the I think that's the secret. I think that is the secret. You know, people ask like, "What makes a cult classic, and why are some things cult classics and other things not?" I think, and you said it with things like Clueless and um, Legally Blonde. I think there has to be an underline of sincerity, right, in the product itself. Right. I think that you know that's a common that's a common theme for us. Whether you're talking about satire or parody or things like this, there has to be genuine love for what you are doing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, again, I'm my favorite TV show of all time is Mystery Science Theater 3000, where they make fun of movies. But you can tell, except in like one or two instances, that there is a deep respect for the... The, just making a movie and just trying to, you know, you watch something like Plan 9 from Outer Space and yes, it's not a great film <laughs> but there is something very sincere in the um, in Ed Wood's desire to make it. Well, you watch another one I love, Robot Monster where it literally does look like these people just grabbed a camera and whatever whatever gorilla suit and space helmet they could find said, hey, let's let's make a movie you know, it, I think I think for it to become a cult classic, a genuine one, there has to be that level of sincerity in it. Which brings us to one that we kind of skipped over, but I think is very influential and falls right into that category, and that's Clerks. Yeah. Like, Clerks, he literally borrowed money, saved money, uh, made the movie with, what, $15,000? Yeah, cast his friends. Cast his friends, the black and white film, because it was cheaper. Uh, filmed it, like, filmed it in the convenience store that he, he worked at. Right. You know, the, the, again, that other piece of movie trivia, the reason, you know, that great running gag about the, the shutters being drawn the whole time is because they were filming at night. Right. And he, he, was, he had to come up with a reason why, you know, the shutters, and there was no sunlight coming in. Uh, like he that is a genuine love of film mm-hmm. and wanting to make something and now Kevin Smith is one probably I would put him up there as one of the more well known creators yeah. um out there. Yeah, exactly. Like he's still I mean people freaking go nuts for Jay and Silent Bob. Yep, and he's still and while he's not directing as much anymore, you know, he's still, he's making TV shows, he made the Masters of the Universe show on Netflix, uh, and even when he does direct, I mean, a lot of people can badmouth some of the films that he's made, and yeah, some of the some stuff... Some of them are weird. Um, but, Tusk? That was Yeah, odd. but what I like about him is that 
he's at a point in his career now, it's like, I just want to make this fucking movie. I don't care if it's good or yeah. not. I don't care if people like it or not. My friends and I had this idea. And again, there's that. It feels like that. My friends and I wanted to make a movie, so we did. And yeah. if you don't like it, fuck you. Yeah. And I, I respect that. Like, that is, I mean, the clerks. The acting is not good. No. But it is... I don't know. I think it opens up both the idea of the filmmaker, but also this nerd culture type yep. of idea. And I don't, I think that because like, if you look at, at Ranzel and Dante, the way that they talk to each other was like how a lot of the us in the theater community talked to each other. Well, it, it opened up things again, uh, uh, for for shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, yeah, or Scream, these kind of ultra aware, hyper intelligent, heightened language. Yes, you know, I, I that's how I always describe Kevin Smith's writing is it's heightened language where it is stuff we talk about, but it's done so in an eloquence that you don't necessarily hear. But it's so natural, and yes. I think that's because that's who he is. Like, if you hear, if you listen to interviews with him, if you listen, you know, if you watch things where he's just himself, lots of, like, he sounds exactly like that. Yeah. So. So, but yeah, so yeah, Kevin Smith's films are definitely cult, were cult classics, and yeah. he built an entire career out of that, a very long-lasting, very, you know, he is the king of nerds. Yep. <laughs> so, anyways, the whole conversation about cult classics is because we're going to see kind of a quirky film that may end up falling into that category. Yep. Uh, but we're going to, uh, we're planning to see Lisa Frankenstein. Um, so, hopefully, that's the movie we come back with when, <laughs> when we come back from break. <laughs> okay. gets to come back <laughs> come back from playing Jughead and also come back from the dead oh is that who he is? yeah is that he played, he played, was that in Riverdale? in Riverdale he was Jughead okay. but of course he was in the sweet life of Zack and Cody oh, oh well I'm going to take your word for that and also he played Ross's son a million years ago on Friends really? yes that I did not this was, know. This was Ben. Wow, okay. Oh, well, I mean, well, I... he and his twin brother. Oh, well, yeah. Dylan. Yeah. Okay, all right. So, so... All right, so now I know. And knowing is half the battle, G.I. Joe. Uh, okay, groovy. So, so uh, <laughs> we talked about cult classics mm -hmm. leading into this. And that's because this has got the vibes of becoming one of those type of movies. Yeah, it really does. This is this is one that it feels like if it's marketed right or if if the right audience finds it. Yes. I think it's gonna be be a beloved uh, little slice of cinema for a while. And, you know, you never know these days. It's very hard to tell. Right. That was like an old man statement. Well, right I, there. You never know these days. Well, I'm sorry. The truth is the truth. Um, but yes, this feels like the girls who grew up on Nightmare Before Christmas and are now into, like, horror movies are going to love this. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so first of all, this is a Diablo Cody, um, screenplay. Yeah. Uh, Diablo Cody was the one who wrote Juno, who, which in itself is a cult classic. Yes, yes. But also... Um, she wrote Jennifer's Body. Yeah. Which definitely did not get a lot of heat coming out, but... Well, it got heat, but not for the right reasons. Right. You were saying you remembered people not liking it. I, yeah, and I, I don't know if that's... I, I think the reason maybe it could have been that it got caught in the Megan Fox backlash. Ah, uh, yes. Because there was a lot of that, and she was... Which, I don't know that that was deserved. That's another one of those people who, like, did she 
deserve the attitude that people gave her or was she put in situations where she didn't have a lot of choice? I think it's six, well not six one half dozen other. I think it's a little bit of a little bit of the fact that I don't think she was a very good actor. But I think a lot of it was she was put in situations that did not uh, did not prepare her for success or or did not right. uh, benefit her. Well, and I know that a lot of the like she's come out recently and like was talked frankly about being really uncomfortable and having no say in in how she was presented. Yeah, and I, I can't say I blame her for being mad about that. Right. So, um, but I believe that Jennifer's body is one of the ones that uh, current day teenage girls who are into kind of squeamish horror movies, they kind of dig. Yeah, I think you're, well, according to you. Yeah. You know, and according to the teenage daughters we have. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, it feels, if I, I, it's been a minute since I watched that, but it felt like, I feel like it was about taking vengeance and taking control. Well, it was a, it was a, what was at the time a modern day take on the revenge, right. uh, the revenge horror movie, the I spit on your grave yeah. kind of thing, you know? Right. So, and the fact that it was being done by a pretty girl was probably not looked down on or looked at very well. There is still a lot of patriarchy and misogyny in horror movies. I mean, that's what they're built on, yeah. <laughs> which is very odd. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good thing, I'm just saying, yeah, there is. I always think there's a scene from uh, the Mystery Science Theater episode, The Horror at Party Beach, where one of the monsters is attacking a girl, and one of the, I think it's Mike says, you think a lot of filmmakers have issues with women? <laughs> well, Christopher Nolan, for sure. Yeah. But, um, but I think there, that a lot of horror movies can be very progressive, and the fact that there's still so much misogyny in them is really kind of disheartening. Yeah. I think it's getting better, though. It, it is. Well, I think... Um, I think with things like Scream... Right. Where the, the spotlight was really shown on the the trope of, like, the last girl. Right. I think since the horror films kind of went through that... That period of being much more self-aware... I think they are... They have kind of been making that... Slowly but surely. Slowly but surely, but you're, I don't think, I think it's one of those things you're never going to get rid of completely. So we have, um, Diablo Cody wrote this, mm -hmm. and this is actually directed by Zelda Williams, who yeah. is the daughter of Robin Williams. Mm -hmm. I don't think she's directed in a feature film. Yet. I don't I believe think this so. Is her first. Yeah, I don't believe so. I could be wrong about that, but I, I believe you're right. I think she mainly does voice work. Mm hmm. Um, but yeah, she she directed this one. Yep. Uh, starring Catherine Newton. Yep. Who was who was the new Cassie Lang in the Ant Man yep. franchise, but also was in a movie that you kind of, like a horror movie you kind of dug a couple years ago called Freaky. Yeah, yeah, she was in that. That was a fun little film. So, um, so she's kind of this isn't her first ride on the Con Comedy Horror Express. Yeah. Which is what I would put this under. Would be Oh, definitely, horror. yeah. This is a this is a tongue firmly implanted in cheek. Right. Uh, kind of horror movie. I don't even know if it's necessarily a It has horror tropes, but I don't I wouldn't necessarily call it a I horror film. I would put it film. in the same type of of genre. It would be in the same subgenre as Serial Mom. Yeah. You know. Kind of in that there with Once Bitten with yeah. uh, Jim Carrey. Yeah. You know. So, okay, so we've got uh, Catherine Newton is playing Lisa Swallows, which unfortunately. Yeah, what a name. <laughs> um, who is uh, kind of on the, you know, the misfit side of things. She is your typical horror movie, small town, or not even horror movie, 
Um, that 80s movie. Outcast. Outcast, not cool girl. Right. You know, who lit, you know, she's basically Molly Ringwald. But, no, I would say, she, like I said, she's Lydia Dietz. She's Lydia Dietz from Beetlejuice. Like. But in it. But I think I think that's the that's the difference here is that I feel like this is an '80s teen comedy with horror movie aspects sprinkled okay. in, as opposed very, to very yeah, it's very '80s. Like you open up on a pink bathroom and a hair crimping. Yeah, and so Aquanets, so unlike like, something like Beetlejuice, which is very. You know, Tim Burton's early work is very, um, very clear in that what he find that what he finds most scary is normalcy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that that's very clear from from everything. Um, but he's not really shining a this one's not really shining a spotlight on her as the Lydia. It's she's the she's the the outsider the 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 front not frumpy the. Um, the secretly hot one, but she hasn't embraced her uh, her confidence or anything like that. I got she's the Molly Ringwald. So she lives in a small town with her stepmom and dad and stepsister. Mm -hmm. Stepsister, of course, is pageant girl, Miss Hawaiian Tropic, uh, cheerleader, top of the pyramid. Yeah. Um, and fifty-five, honey.
do you think? Um, in terms of the plot, I think it's. I think I'm, I'm coming at it more from. Um, since this is a an '80s homage, um, I think it dealt with everything in that very big '80s kind of way. You know, motivation shifted and attitudes changed very quickly, and but that didn't bother me because it's like it's 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 an '80s movie. Okay. You know, we're we're supposed to be big, loud, and right. uh, you know, I think everything is dialed up to eleven, if you'll pardon the, the terminology. And so, looking at it from that lens, uh, I think it, I think the plot flowed fairly well. Okay. Um, it does make me. There were a few things I was a little bit. Uh, just confused by and maybe maybe I just didn't get um, didn't get it right. um, so like I said it, it is an 80s movie and it is very big and you know, all that but I, I started getting kind of lost thematically like what are we what is the movie about what is it trying to say you know and I, I felt like that was a little a little confusing. I don't know if it really knew. Like, is Lisa someone we should be rooting for? Is she someone we shouldn't be rooting for? You know, because she ends up, you know, being an accomplice to several murders. Right. You know? Uh, and the planner of several. Um, I think the planner of only one. Yeah, true, true. Which, I mean... Yeah, a murder's a murder, but, yeah. like, but I also think that that's almost too hot to think, is, should we be rooting for her or should we not be rooting for her? Because, I don't know, I don't, like, there's no purely good or evil people. So, as far as the bad guy in this, there were some people who made bad choices and some people with bad behavior, um, but there wasn't any kind of like, you know, there wasn't really uh, a bad guy. There was an antagonist for sure. Yeah. Um, and there was a creepy guy who tried to sexually, or did sexually assault her, but there's not a quote-unquote bad guy like pure evil mm. you know yeah yeah so yeah it was it was i i just i think that maybe some of its themes might have gotten a little messy a little mushed up yeah i'd be hard pressed to say what the the out and out theme for this was yeah and um, and i do believe that most most everything has a theme you yeah. know even even a comedy a fun comedy that there is a theme or a driving force behind it that it that informs you know everything else that you do that informs the visual visual language the you know directorial choices the acting choices so there's got to be something that they're following a, a you know a story that they're trying to tell and I I don't know maybe I'm looking too deep for and like I say, in a, in a movie about a girl falling in love with the, the zombie that came back to life, you know, maybe, right. maybe I'm looking too deep, but I don't know. It, it felt like there was, it's a film that feels like it has something to say. So what would you say the, the theme of the original Frankenstein is? The theme of the original Frankenstein is always man's hubris. Okay. It's that, that concept of... The monster isn't always the one who looks like the monster. Yeah, and you know, you know, you know, Frankenstein's real, the real sin was that he was trying to play God and meddle in, you know, meddle in things that shouldn't be meddled with, and the mon the creature is his kind of his punishment. So. Well, okay, but I also, like I said, I think that a lot of Frankenstein stories revolve around this idea that the person who is the evil, the person who is the bad guy or the real monster isn't the one who looks like the monster. 
ones that are just the creature is always the is usually the one who is just trying to make do in the body and the, the situation he was born into. Right. And like if you've got a, if there was any monster in this, it's the stepmom. Yeah. And she is like definitely evil mm -hmm. and terrible. And she looks like the perfect little, you know, housewife in the eighties, you know, she's a nurse, I care about everybody, I'm empathetic and blah 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 blah, but she was actual monster. So I could say that. Also, I would I would put that on to the stepsister as well because you expect in these kind of movies for the head cheerleader character to be a total biatch, like just awful, terrible. But she wasn't. She was no. really sweet and she really loved her stepsister and she was actually trying to be helpful in her own way. <laughs> um. Anyway, we were. We were talking about the plot, I believe, and yes. whether it was well, a little... the theme. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's, I think that, I think a common theme would, you know, it's a little path, but don't judge a book by its cover. Mm, I don't know if I'd go that far. I don't, I don't think, I, no, it felt to me like this had something more substantial it was trying to say, maybe about how far she... Kind of like you were talking about, about her kind of becoming the monster. Okay. And, uh, you know, abetting the monster because it made her feel good. And then uh, seeing the, the, the toll that was taking on people. Yeah. You know, and then trying to repent. I think that's what was going on. Yeah, that's an interesting thing is that, you know, a little bit of a spoiler here. But she never tries to run from her mistake. Like, she no. accepts that she's going to get arrested or die. Yeah. So, that's an, I think, an interesting little bit of it. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really sure about, I, I think it's a smart film. Uh, I don't know if it's as smart as it could have been. Or that it thinks it is. That it thinks it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's entertaining. Yeah. Oh, well, it was very entertaining. So let's talk. We already talked. Cole Sprouse did a great job of non-verbal acting. Yeah. Um, it's kind of changing over the course of the movie. Uh, what about uh, Carla Gino? Is that who played Lisa? No, that's the, the stepmom, Janet. Oh, yeah. She, she I mean... She was your typical evil stepmom. Yeah. You know? Which is, I, can, I think, kind of an interesting turn for for her. I, she's not necessarily a, a, a villain. Yeah. Carla, you know. I, I don't know. There's I feel like there's not much to say uh, in that she was playing the trope and she played it well. Right. Though it is kind of one of those things, and it is, I realize it's, it's taken from a different time, but I, I still don't see how any parent could sit there and listen to a step-parent tell their kid you're a psycho and you're a bitch and you're all this and just not say anything. Right. Like, her her stepsister stood up with for her more than her dad, dad did. did. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? What? Yeah. I think the dad was just kind of clueless. Yeah. Like, for a second I thought he might be a little predatory. Well, the thing is, and I, I'm wondering, like, they never, they never completed the story of who killed her mom. No, that's true. And it seemed like that's where they were headed. Cause it was a, yeah, I, I wondered why they didn't tie that together. Like, because I thought it was going to be her dad. Or I thought that maybe it was her. Yeah. And she's imagining this Frankenstein, and she's actually killing people with him. Yeah, ass. exactly. You know? So, but it felt like they set that up for a specific reason and never really paid it off. Yeah. But maybe we're looking at it too much in a we were used to being spoon-fed things, yeah. You know, I remember you know, when I would teach theater uh, in high school and I'd always show them 12 Angry Men. Right. And they would like it, but they'd get mad because they never told them who actually did it. Right. You know, and we are used to that. And they're used to like you know they kept thinking it was going to be one of the jurors, 
or something. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. Well, but th but that's what they're used to. Yeah. You know, they're used to that in, in modern... So maybe it was just a thing of... It wasn't a story they were supposed to tie up. It was a thing she... That was out of her control. Right. Um... Because she even talks about that, about, you know, death being out of people's control, and that's why it scares them. Hmm. So maybe that's kind of why they never tied that back in. Maybe. I don't know. So we also had, uh, I'm trying to find her name, Liza Soberano uh -huh. was who played Taffy. The, played the stepsister. Yes. She was great. Yeah, she was really great. She was really good. I think she's got a scream queen future, Yeah. Honestly. Like, she's definitely kind of made for that kind of role. She reminded, you know who she reminded me of? Uh -huh. She reminded me, I think I'm going to mention this before before the stoppage. Um, she reminded me of, like, episodes of Buffy where um, Cordelia was trying to be nice. Yes. <laughs> and that's, that's what she reminded me of. Because she was, she was, she was genuinely trying to be nice, but she'd say things in ways that could be taken as kind of like oh I don't think that blushes your color or yeah things like that yeah yeah or like when she's talking with her friends she could talk about her sister oh she could be a beauty queen if she had congeniality right you know which you know she's trying to be nice and talk about how beautiful she is but yeah but yeah. so so it is but but that's a thin line to walk but, uh, yeah, I think she did a great job. I did, too. I really enjoyed she was, her. She was a, you know, she's a, a person of color playing that role, too. You know? Like, I think that, I would say she's Hispanic, I think. Um, I, do, I, do, 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 I don't know. Filipino. Yeah. Well, she yeah, because she was talking about winning Miss Hawaiian... about to roll over into the 90s. But, so you do have, like, you've got some goth kids, you've got kids in flannel shirts, and that you do have, like, the mom and the leotard, but also, like, it looks honestly more like the 80s, like I remember it. It, lo it looks like a lot of movies like this kind of look, like they went to the, the spirit Halloween and got the 80s kid... Halloween costume. I don't think it's so. a little. It's a little bit too bold. At least I. I never. I never knew anybody in the eighties who dressed like those people. Like what? Like like the way they dressed. Like or the way they even dressed in eighties movies. I never knew anybody who dressed like that. I don't. I mean, I think that it was pretty on par for a lot of the looks. Um, now I thought it looks much more realistic. Um. I also, that was, the, talking about the character and the monster not being who you think, the kid who sexually assaults her is not the kid, he's the kid you would think would be the nerdy love interest who gets the girl in the end, you know? Yeah, you definitely see, yeah. He, what, but instead, he was not. <laughs> like I said, they were playing, they were having a lot of fun playing with the tropes of an 80s, uh, an 80s teen movie. Right. You know, with with a horror kind of splash to it. Yeah. So, and that was, and I do think that was fun to have, like, the the kid from the, the 1900s, or, or, like, turn of the century, 1900s, 1800s, coming back as the your Frankenstein character. But I, I don't think they really did much of that. They really didn't play into that as much, which, I, in a way, I'm happy about. They the, did a little bit with his classical music and with, you know... Well, yeah, but they didn't do, like, a lot of the the standard jokes of, uh-oh, fish out of water, he doesn't know what that modern thing does. <laughs> there were some things, they were, but... There were some, but it wasn't, like, the entirety of the movie. Right. Like, a lot of films would just kind of build the whole premise around that. Yeah. And that's all they would do. Yeah. You know? 
look of it. I liked the characters. Um, I think it was a fun little jaunt. Yeah. It was, yeah. like I say, it was definitely entertaining, never boring. No. There was definitely a few times that I'm like, what? Like what? Like what? What, what did that for Um, you? I think the last murder scene <laughs> yeah. was really one of the shocking ones. Um, when she has the back massager in the closet, the, that was the, fun. The quote unquote back massager. Yes. In big quotation marks. Um, yes. Yeah, you'll turn up here yeah. at Dollar Tree or a Dollar Store. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like there was definitely some moments where I was a little surprised by what happened. There's in the last murder scene. There's a shadow of a body part flying across the room that just like, it was like, oh my God. Yeah. So, and then you started cracking up when he, like, just the way that Cole Sprouse is standing. They, the, the whole thing in this is, I think, where the Frankenstein aspect comes in is that um, our creature is missing several parts, like a hand and an ear. And Don't go any further. That's all. Okay. And when, after they kill somebody, or after he kills somebody, he takes a body part and she... Sews it on for sews him. Sews it on for him. And the, this last scene that you're talking about, when she is sewing the extracted body part on, just his stance, the kind of hand on hips... Like he's posing for a portrait. Yeah, lightly holding up the, the end of his shirt. It's very... It's very good. <laughs> yes. Um, so... I actually have to say that is something else I really appreciate. Um, is that this film could have gone, like, incredibly gory. Yes. And chose not to. There were a few times where it was like, ew... Yeah, but, I mean, compare that to just about anything else. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it was pretty tame. Right. By all, by all uh, accounts, you know. So, I, I, I appreciate that. I know, I get real tired, this is a, this is a tirade, sorry. I get real tired of, you know, things online that, oh, yo, we never got a Wolverine movie with all the blood, it's like, Blood doesn't make something better. No. More gore doesn't make something better. No. You know, just... Yeah, I would hold up the remake of The Evil Dead, where it was literally raining buckets of blood on the stage, and are on the set, and it was not good. Yeah, so, I mean, more gore, making things bloodier, doesn't, you know, doesn't make it better. So I feel like, I know that there will be some people probably, oh, it'd be better if it was more gory. It's like, why? What, what, what is that going to get out? What are you going to get out of it more than, right? you know, than that? So I, I, as someone who is not a gore fan, I appreciated that. Yes. Now I am going to need one of those black hats with the rose in the middle. Yes. That, that's, that is, that was very, yeah. That, very the costume good. designer had a lot of fun on this. Oh yeah. Costume designer had a lot. They did, and they, again, they played with so many of those 80s teen movie tropes, like the makeover, where uh, the character keeps coming out of the closet in different outfits. Yes, the montage. Yeah, you know, like they, so they had a lot of fun with that. And so, yeah, that's so, it. Um, I guess before we wrap up, since this, since this is Miss um, Williams, as far as we know, her, her feature film debut how did you what did you think of the the directing the only part that I was not like on board with was she's at a party at the beginning and she gets slipped something and like the whole making the camera seem like you are also high with her just makes me queasy Mm. um but I get it um other than that I think I think she did a really good job for her for her first solo venture. What do you think? I think so too. I think it was a stylized movie, and I think um, I, I, I don't think it ever kind of went over the edge. I like I love that it actually had an opening credit sequence. 
Yeah. Since there aren't a lot of those these days, we save it for the for the end credits. That was a really cool credit sequence. Yeah, too. it gave us the exposition on our on the creature without needing to slow down the film. Right. You know, so it's like, all right, great. Um, the her dream sequence, Lisa's dream sequence in black and white. Oh, that was really cool. You know, I forgot about that. that. You know, that was really... I like little touches, like the fact that Lisa has posters for the creature from the Black Lagoon, the mummy, like the original Universal films right. on her wall. Like, I, I like little touches like that. And I, so I think that there was some... <coughs> for first outing, I think it was pretty good, but as we kind of said early on... Uh, she might want to think about as she when she goes forward, just what what is the story she's trying to tell. Right, and I don't know if that's more on her or Diablo Cody. I think that's on the director. Okay. In my in my humble opinion, I think that is that's the director's. Um. That's their their job to kind of figure out. Okay, what is it I'm trying to say, and how am I? How's the visual language and everything going to communicate that? Right. Excuse me. I think part of it is was just being having a gothic romance story. Mm, but know? not a gothic one. A non-gothic gothic, gothic romance. romance. No. <laughs> yes. Um, and I did love the little bit at the end with um, Frankenstein and Lisa on the bed. Yeah. I, I did love that. And she's wrapped up like Elsa Elsa Lancaster. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So yeah, I think there were a lot of really smart directorial touches. It's one of the kind of like with um, Creed Three. I it's it's a good first outing, and you're kind of interested to see what the person is going to do going forward. Right. You know. Wait, who directed Creed Three? Michael B. Jordan. Oh right, right, right. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, anything else we want to talk about before we before we grade this sucker? Oh, great costumes. Mm-hmm. Just great costumes. Oh yeah, and you can tell that. Lisa was having a great time wearing them. Oh, yeah. Like, she was just, she was probably having a ball going in there every day. Like, with the curly hair, too. Yeah. Like, just love it. So, okay, so uh, what is your final grade for Lisa Frankenstein? You know, I think I'm going to go solid B. Okay. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to, like, I'm sure I'll end up watching it again because this is right up the girls' the oh, yeah. our team, daughters, De- definitely. Alley. Um, but it's not like it's going to be something that I gush over. Um, but I think it was pretty solid. Pretty solid, pretty interesting. And I hope Zelda Williams kind of keeps going. Yeah. Um, well, for our the first episode of our second season, I am going to actually go against our opening and say I agree. I am also going to go with B solid on this one. I think uh, like I said, I think entertaining, fun to look at. They had a lot of fun with the tropes. I think there are some directorial choices that needed to be explored or fine-tuned a little bit, but, you know, that's what first-time outings are for. Right. So, but I, I can totally see this becoming a maybe not an annual watch, but like a when we start doing Halloween movies and looking for something. I don't know. It's kind of got a Valentine's vibe yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, true, true. You know, I kind of, like, I'm digging it for a Valentine's Day movie. So, yeah, so I might make it onto a Valentine's Day watch list. So, yeah, so yeah you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. All right. Okay, so there we go. So Check out Lisa Frankenstein, people. So, yeah, so as I said, this is the first episode of our second season. This is the first episode of... 2024, an actual movie that came out in this yes, year. Yes, up until this point, we've been reviewing 2023 movies. Uh, so, uh, but we're not quite done with the first season because we will be figuring out our top 10 lists right. and be getting ready to share those with you. And, of course, bringing you all the ups and downs of this year at the movies. So, thank oh, you all for, for coming along and listening. Oh, yeah, there's some good ones coming out that, like, you know, yeah. what I... What? Sorry, sorry, listeners. We're gonna chat again for a few minutes. So we've seen multiple trailers having gone to the movies recently. Mm -hmm. Um, What movies are you excited about seeing? Um, I'm excited about. um, I like the what? What is it? The 
Annabelle? Not Annabelle. Abigail. Abigail, the vampire ballerina girl. Yes. Film that looks awesome. 45 Uh We haven't seen a trailer for it, but the posters are out. I'm look. I I really want to see uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Oh yeah, that's your jam. That is totally my jam. Yeah. Um, I can't say that anything else is really. Oh, that that one we the the, the one we saw the the mat the Order of Magical Negroes or oh, something like uh, that. This American Society of Magical Negroes. Yeah, yes, that that I looks am, really good. I am very much looking forward to that one. Yeah, that look that looks fun. Yeah, um, we saw a bunch of trailers tonight. Yeah. They, did not st I swear it was 20 minutes before they started the movie. It was. Um, what was the... There was another one that is kind of a horror movie that we were talking about. The bear one? The Imagine... Imaginary. Oh, Imaginary Friend. I am... Uh, we're gonna watch that, but I am not... Do not have high hopes for it. I... I do certainly do not. Uh, that's why we didn't... We need more... We need more bad movies this year. We do. So we, we got... We're really gonna try to... I'm really trying to convince her that she needs to actively seek out some bad movies to review because it's fun and it's cathartic. Uh, do we have any Marvel movies coming out this year? No, actually. Um, the only Marvel films coming out are the Madam Web, which... Looks terrible. So, so that's one we're going to have to watch. Yeah. And Deadpool 3. Oh, you hate Deadpool. I, I kind of like Deadpool. But it's got Hugh Jackman in it. Yeah, that's true. Hugh Jackman's back. So I will... Put aside my distaste for the Deadpool film series to see Hugh Jackman because Hugh Jackman's okay. awesome. All right. So okay then. We got lots of stuff coming up this year, so yep. stay tuned. Uh, so thank you all for listening and coming along. Thank you, my love, for always being my favorite movie date. Oh. And uh, as always, drive safe, and we will see you at the movies.